0: Welcome back to the listener's commentary on the gospel of Luke. In this session, we're going to be looking at Luke 23 50 through 24 12. Just to set that section in context, Jesus has just died. It's about 3 p.m. and the Sabbath begins in three hours at 6 p.m. So there's not a whole lot of time between Jesus' death and the beginning of the Passover Sabbath. And based on Deuteronomy 21, Jesus needs to be buried before 6 o'clock. Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23 says this, Now, if a man has committed a sin carrying a sentence of death, and he's put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body is not to be left overnight on the tree, but you shall certainly bury him on the same day, for he who is hanged is cursed of God, so that you do not defile the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. And so... Jesus, having been condemned to die and hanged, he needs to be taken down and buried before 6 p.m. So he can be buried on the same day. And so in this section, 2350 through 2412, we get Jesus' burial in the first bit and his resurrection in the second bit. Here's the way the story unfolds. Verse 50, and a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, he had not consented to their plan and action, a man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God, this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Notice several things about Joseph. He He's a member of the council. In other words, he's a member of the Jewish high court the jewish sanhedrin so he has high standing religiously high standing politically he's also described as a good and righteous man and he it's said that he hadn't consented to their plan in action and so this tells us right off the bat that not all the jews and not all the jewish leaders uh, were opposed to jesus and desired to put him to death uh, joseph certainly didn't and so even though he was a member of the council He didn't consent to this plan to put Jesus to death, and he's a good and righteous man. We're also told he's from the city of Arimathea, which is a city of the Jews, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God. Now, we don't know what all that means and what that means about him in relationship to Jesus particularly, but we do know he wasn't in favor of this idea and that he had the a high standing to get Pilate to release his body. And so he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Verse 53, and he took it down and he wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid him in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever been lain. That's a funny little line to us at the end. So we need to explain that where no one had ever been lain. Jews who could afford a tomb, which wasn't everybody, but it was the more wealthy. So Jews who could afford a tomb would lay the body in a tomb on sort of a, almost like a cut out in the stone that was a bench. And so they would lay the body there until all the flesh had decomposed. Then they would gather up the bones into a bone box called an ossuary, and thus tombs could be used for multiple burials, and so whole families would have tombs, and in you know one section of it, you would have all these bone boxes of people who had previously died in the family, and had therefore been buried in the tomb, and thus had then their bones gathered into a bone box. But this particular tomb had never had anyone buried in it before. It had never been used before. It's, it is a brand new tomb, and so Joseph took Jesus' body, and Jesus is going to be the first dead person to lay in this tomb. Verse 54, it was a preparation day and a Sabbath was about to begin. When it says preparation day, it means Preparation for the Sabbath, since no work could be done on the Sabbath, all the preparations for it needed to be done the day before. The food needed to be pulled together. The lights needed to be trimmed. Everything needed to be made ready for the Sabbath. And so this is the preparation day. The Sabbath was about to begin. As we noted at the outset, there was only three hours roughly between Jesus' death and the beginning of the Sabbath. And so Joseph had very little time and had to work quickly. Now, the women, verse 55, who had come with Jesus from Galilee, followed. So they're watching and they're following uh, what Joseph is doing and as he prepares to bury. So they see the place where uh, Joseph took the body. And so now the women who had come from Galilee followed, and they saw the tomb and how his body was laid. So they watched where it was at. They took note of all of this. And then they returned and prepared spices and perfume. So they watched Joseph, and whoever else helped move the body, wrapped it in this linen cloth. Uh, They saw it be a hasty burial because time was running out, so let's at least get him in the tomb. Uh, They weren't able to do everything for a full proper burial. And so they went to wherever they were staying and they prepared the appropriate spices and perfumes so that when the Sabbath was over, they could return to the tomb and finish the burial process. They got all their preparations done before sundown. And so verse 56 ends with saying, and on the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. The Sabbath lasted from 6 p.m. on Friday to 6 p.m. on Saturday. That was how they counted the hours. And so for them, that was Saturday. And so uh, the first day of the week began then on Saturday evening at 6 p.m. Since it was already evening... And the Sabbath was about to begin, right? So they rested on the Sabbath. They have their spices that they prepared on Friday afternoon. It's now Saturday evening in our language, the first day of the week in their language. But it's evening time. And so they figured we'll wait till the next morning before they we head back out to the tomb. And then we can complete Jesus' burial. So they get up at daybreak. They grab the spices that they had prepared on Friday afternoon. It's now been about 40 hours or so since Jesus breathed his last. And they head out to the tomb. That's where Luke 24 verse 1 picks up. Uh, But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And so they head out to the tomb early in the morning trying to put together all the accounts of the gospels. It sounds like they leave while it's still dark. They arrive just as the sun is coming up and they bring their spices that they had prepared on Friday afternoon before the Sabbath started. And when they arrived, verse two, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. So they arrive at the tomb we know from some of the other accounts in the Gospels, they're talking along the way about, man, we didn't plan this very well. Who's going to move that stone for us and all that? Uh, and that's because tombs of the wealthy were fairly large. They would have like a kind of a central area inside of them with um, those benches, those cutouts in the stone walls where you could lay a body. You might even have a couple st- uh, cutouts in there where you could lay a couple bodies if several family members died at the same time. Um, And they would have this large, flat, disc-like rolling stone that would cover the entrance. That's the stone that's being talked about here. And so when they arrived, that stone had already been rolled away, had been moved up and out of the way from the tomb. And so now they can enter directly into the tomb. And so they go down the little stairs and into that central, large central area in the tomb, But there's no body there. Uh, And it was empty, see? So when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And so now picture them standing in a large cave-like opening At the beginning section of this tomb, there's no body there. And verse four says, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in gleaming clothing, right? That tomb would be somewhat dark. And so the gleaming or shining clothing, that's the idea, that would radiate, that would stand out. And immediately the women react as almost all people do in scripture when they see an angel, verse five, and as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. That's the way people typically respond when they see an angel in scriptures, terror, they're afraid. And so they're filled with fear. They bow their faces to the ground. And then the men who have appeared to them offer two gentle bits of instructions or corrections to the women. The men said to them, why are you seeking the living one among the dead? He's not here, but he has risen. So the first instruction or gentle correction is, why are you here? He's not dead. He has risen. Living people aren't found in tombs, so it doesn't make any sense to be looking for Jesus here. And then next they said this, remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee saying that the son of man must be handed over to sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise from the dead. And so the second uh, instruction or gentle correction is, remember what Jesus said, how he told you this is the way it's going to play out. Remembering his words is key to understanding what has happened. And so verse 8 says, and they remembered his words. They remembered that Jesus had said this. And all of a sudden they started putting the pieces together. And they returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the 11 and to the rest. Notice it says to the 11. That is to the 12 minus Judas. The 12 apostles now minus Judas and to all the rest. Apparently there were other disciples gathered there too. And the women come to them and report what they had seen, what they had been told. And so the women become the first witnesses of the empty tomb and the first reporters of the resurrection. This is one of the things that says this is a credible story because this never would have been written down if it didn't happen this way. In that culture, in that time and place, women's testimony was viewed as untrustworthy and typically it wasn't even permitted in a court of law. So if this story was invented later, it would never have been invented like this. So women being the first witnesses actually indicates the factualness and the accuracy and the credibility of this story. It speaks also to the valuing of women in the kingdom of Jesus. Jesus, in his providential arrangement of things, allows the women to be those who get to report the empty tomb and the resurrection to the apostles. In fact, these women were so important to Luke that he actually lists them off by name, and emphasizes their testimony. Look at verse 10. Now, these women were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James. Also, the other women with them were telling him these things to the apostles. Notice that the 11 are mentioned again, this time by title. They are the apostles. And that the women, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and some other women, kept telling them what they saw. That's the emphasis of we're telling these things. It's repeated. They kept telling them what they saw, what they heard, and what was said to them, and reminding them, the apostles, of Jesus' words that the angels had reminded them of. And how did the apostles respond to the women's testimony? Well, look at verse 11. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they wouldn't believe the women. Notice that, that two things Uh, are two strikes against this testimony. One, he rose from the dead. That doesn't make sense. And two, women. Nah, we're not going to believe this. And so the apostles wouldn't believe the women's testimony. Again, this speaks to the credibility of the story. It makes the apostles look bad. It makes the women the heroes of the story, which, again, speaks to the value of women in Jesus' kingdom. And Luke emphasizing for us that their value... And so the apostles did not believe them, but verse 12, Peter got up and ran to the tomb. And when he stooped and looked in, he saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his own home marveling at what had happened. And so they didn't want to believe the women, Peter at least thinks he's going to go check this out. We know from John's gospel, John actually makes this initial trip with Peter and runs out there ahead of him. Uh, John tells us he's actually faster than Peter, and he got there first, but he didn't go in. Peter gets there, and he just barges right in and goes into the tomb. When he gets there uh, and looks inside, he sees the, the linen wrappings that had been wrapped around the body of Jesus, but no body there. Uh, And so he sees the burial garment and no Jesus. And he went away. The translation here is poor. He went away. It says to his own home. He didn't go away to his own home. He's in Jerusalem. His home is back in Capernaum. It literally in the Greek just says he went away. So that to his own home is doesn't need to be there. He went back, in other words, to where he was staying in Jerusalem, marveling at what had happened, wondering and thinking it through and trying to figure it out and put the pieces together. He saw the empty tomb. He saw the linen wrappings. What does all this mean? He, he began to reflect on the women's testimony and their experience of the angels. And then think back through Jesus' words. And he's marveling at what all this means. And so at this point in Luke's story, we haven't seen the risen Jesus yet. Peter and the apostles haven't seen angels or anything like that. Only the women have had a vision of the angels. They saw the angels. They were told to remember Jesus' words and put two and two together. And so at this point, we, along with Peter, should be marveling, wondering, thinking it all through, seeing how the story culminates, remember Jesus' words and realize, yes, yes, what Jesus said would happen has happened. And then we await the rest of the story.